After being taken into custody for erratic behavior, a 24-year-old woman is released into the middle of the night with no car, no phone, or wallet in a place she does not know. She is never seen again until her remains are discovered completely nude and partially mummified on a hillside in a canyon within seven miles of the station where she was last seen. Following the discovery, an already negligent sheriff's department behaves with utter disregard for the deceased and her family to such an extent that it puts into question the role that they played in her death. Will her family ever get justice or even a straight story from law enforcement? Join us as we attempt to make some sense of this horrifying tragedy. You're listening to Creep It Real, and today we cover the disappearance and murder of Mitrice Richardson. Creep It Real is a weekly podcast where we present our theories of the subjects we cover based on our interest and research. Some material may be graphic and disturbing, so proceed with caution. Let me put my butternut squash in the oven. Okay, I was like, what are you looking at? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Uh, All right, here we are, everybody. (laughs) It's been... One of those kind of weeks so far. It's Tuesday. And One of them. <laughs> already it's a, a, a week. Okay. Yeah. Is it only Tuesday too? Yeah, it's Tuesday. It better only be Tuesday or else I'm already behind on this podcast. So let's... Yeah. Yeah. I said last week that Shai was going to have to hold me back. And I think this week I've decided... I don't even want to be held back because I am going to be raging. This was such an emotionally charged case to research. Uh, once we get into it, I'll think you'll, y'all will figure out why. Yeah, I'm ready to like just start throwing furniture through the windows. That's how I feel. So I'm going to turn in on my little mini Nancy Grace. That <laughs> <laughs> I'm ashamed, but it happens every time I get angry. Okay, so let's not talk and slap our leg at the same time, Ashley, because I can't edit that out. <laughs> okay, so, uh-huh. so. Matrice Richardson was a 24-year-old woman living in South LA, California with her great-grandmother while she worked doing clerical work at her ex-girlfriend's father's shipping company while she applied to grad school. She had recently graduated from California State University at Fullerton in the winter of 2008. She was the first uh, person in her family to graduate from college. And like I said, a minute ago, was in the process for applying to graduate school to study psychology. On the night of her disappearance, Matrice had gone to a restaurant located in Malibu, about 40 minutes from her home, called Geoffrey's, like the giraffe from Toys R Us. Yeah. Well, it is a very high-class, high-profile type restaurant. It's located near a bunch of celebrity homes. So for someone who isn't, I guess, well-off to just come to this restaurant at first would be kind of odd. Yeah. Well, and her, we'll get into it, but the way she was, like, everything about it, the way she was dressed, in all her other pictures, her hair is straightened and curled. Uh-huh. And for her to have it unkempt and, like, more afro just yeah. seemed really... Matrice was exhibiting odd behavior and even joined a table of people seated near her it is believed that her overly friendly mood there was a misunderstanding that the table had offered to pay for her meal and when her tab came she was confused and stated that she could not pay at one point too the table had even been like well aren't you going to eat which to me was like hey why don't you go back to what you were doing go eat and kind of yeah you know (laughs) but she didn't take it that way no and they could have just been really nice people 
Um, right. They may have felt bad for her. So the restaurant host has called 911, and according to the owner of the restaurant, he decided to file charges because he could not in good conscience let her leave on her own. So obviously her behavior was of some concern. She didn't really seem in her right mind. You know, she pulled up, and she gave the car. She, I think she gave her keys to the valet to park, and she ended up getting in, mm-hmm. into the valet's car. And when he noticed that, he kind of went over there, got in the car with her, and asked what she was doing. And she said, I was, what did she say? She, Oh, she was avenging Michael Jackson's death. Yeah. So we'll go into more detail about it, about all the stuff she was saying. Because a lot of the stuff she was saying, when you really get, like, the full – the full picture of how of what she was saying yeah. it was definitely not she wasn't of sound mind no. at the time and i according to her family that's not how that's just not how she acted you know she wasn't real like spacey and oh no she was very poised very well spoken very well put together young lady after noting her odd behavior the officers gave her a field sobriety test which she passed indicating that her behavior was not attributable to drugs or alcohol although a small amount of marijuana and some unopened containers of liquor were found in her car so they decided to take her into the station tow her car which included her phone and wallet and i don't know if that's correct or not i would think you would take the phone and wallet with you to the police station. Yeah, I'm almost positive you would. They, But they claim they didn't find it in her car. That's some very personal effects to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, so. Well, it's definitely needed for you to do anything <laughs> when you yeah. get out of there. Who has phone numbers memorized these days? I do Nobody. not. I do not. So I would need my phone. After holding her for a few hours, they decided to release Matrice at 12.30 a.m. again with no mode of transportation, no cell phone, and no wallet in a strange city 40 miles from her home in which she was unfamiliar. She was spotted at 6 a.m. laying on the steps of a former newscaster's property, but by the time police arrived on the scene, she was gone. That was the last time Matrice was even seen alive. Her partially mummified remains were discovered by park rangers performing a search of marijuana grow operation that they had destroyed a year prior in Dark Canyon. It's an extremely rugged and hard to navigate terrain, and this this discovery was on August 9, 2010. When she was discovered, Matrice was completely nude, and one leg was a few yards uphill from the rest of her body, and her head was detached, her jawbone resting on her chest, and her belt, jeans, and bra were found scattered nearby. We'll discuss all this more in depth in a bit, but this was just a brief rundown of the night that she disappeared. So pretty disturbing circumstances all around, I would say. Um, Definitely, you know, she's been missing 10 months and she went missing under the circumstances that she went missing under. And then they find her body and she's nude. I would think that the first thing you would think is this is probably a homicide but oh yeah you know they don't really feel that way so like Shia just said we'll get into it but it's absolutely bizarre every single thing that happened after her body was found and before is just bizarre to say the least it's really hard to wrap your mind around the reasoning that the police department and investigators have for how they found this young woman. Yeah, and just, uh, and all the stuff that has gone on since this has happened, it's just, it's hard to believe that there's not some nefarious behavior going on here. Like, there's not some motive, really, for why they're doing this. Really, to be able to give you a full idea of what this sheriff's department has been known for for the past 40 years, some of the things that have gone on in this sheriff's department, we have to go into some background. While this isn't necessarily directly related to Mitrice's disappearance and murder, they play a huge part in this whole story. 
In the 1970s, the L.A. Sheriff's Department began forming gangs, and the membership of these gangs swelled but didn't stop in the 80s. The sheriff gangs were overwhelmingly white stations that were placed amongst black and Latino immigrant communities. One notorious group operating in the Linwood Station was the Vikings, who a judge branded a neo-Nazi white supremacist gang sheriff's deputies formed a gang. So that's really awesome. You know, I just have to say this, though. You know, you hear that and you're like, there are racist gangs going on inside of sheriff's departments that are in charge of the safety of entire populations of people. Wow, that's really encouraging. So, sorry, I'm ranting. So among this, the Vikings, among its members was, in the 1980s, was Paul Tanaka. And Tanaka has a Viking tattoo on his ankle and doesn't deny membership in this Viking gang. He would later become the the L.A. County undersheriff beneath the sheriff, Lee Baca. And he held this position from 2011 to 2013. So for the entire L.A. County Sheriff's Department, the undersheriff was a member of this... Neo-Nazi white supremacist gang and was pretty open about it. Back in 1998, the newly appointed sheriff, Lee Baca, he dealt with these gangs by pretending that they didn't exist. He said that a ban of gangs amongst the sheriff departments would be unconstitutional. He was nicknamed Sheriff Moonbeam for his obliviousness and detachment and also possibly for his close ties to the Church of Scientology. So his kind of, how, I, how I've read that he was described is that everybody knew they could do whatever they wanted. They got away with whatever little schemes they wanted. He was just oblivious, pretty much, supposedly. And so Paul Tanaka was technically the secret man in charge. So according to a Knight Ritter, which is an old news publication, investigation in the, into the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department in 1991, a former Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department commander is quoted as saying, the Sheriff's Department is much worse than the LAPD. A growing joke in our circles is you never would have had the Rodney King videotape if they were sheriff's deputies because they would have just shot them. He told Newsweek, the men in charge of the department had a modus operandi for all potentially troublesome situations, which was lie and deny. You'll see plenty of lying and denying happening in this story of my Therese Richardson. of those statements too took me personally completely off guard when you heard how these men were handling the case and talking to other people yeah and we'll bring up some quotes too because boy howdy they're pretty unempathetic yeah it's just kind of terrible just awful there have been long charges of racial profiling across Antelope Valley, along with fawning favoritism for celebrities while simultaneously holding belligerent disdain for average citizens. For example, Lost Hills was a station that Mel Gibson was taken to for his DUI arrest in 2006, where he went on a racist tirade and even harassed a female officer. Gibson's car was similarly towed that evening, but he was escorted by police to retrieve it upon his release. Huh. Totally different from what happened to yeah. my trees. And, like, he couldn't afford to get a taxi home. The LASD is arguably the most complex law enforcement agency in the country. It's hard to manage due to its complexity and jurisdiction of 4,751 square miles, two times the area of Delaware. It's really big. It's Yeah, it's, I don't even know how they keep up. They don't. <laughs> that's, that's how. <laughs> they, yeah, clearly they don't. <laughs> it is the main law enforcement agency in 42 cities and 130 unincorporated communities. Mm -hmm. So just imagine that. 
I mean, imagine even your town and how hard it is to keep up with everybody committing crime and what crimes do you take seriously? Right. In 2013, the DOJ found Lancaster and another station in Antelope Valley, Palmdale, engage in a pattern or practice of unconstitutional and lawful policing regarding stops, searches, and seizures, excessive force, and discriminatory targeting of voucher holders in their homes. The targets were black and brown residents who were mostly poor. Yep. This was called voucher enforcement in public housing, wherein deputies would routinely approach voucher holders' homes with guns drawn, occasionally in full SWAT gear. The Justice Department argues these raids were carried out with the intent that black American voucher holders would leave Antelope Valley. In 2015, Los Angeles Magazine presented a convincing case that Palmdale Deputy John Oyege, I probably butchered that, was murdered in 1998 by colleagues after he discovered a meth-dealing operation. The author of this article, Claire Martin, said, Allegations ranged from deputies fraternizing with cartel members to warning them of investigations, operating meth labs, to murder. Deputies across the department have been investigated for a staggering range of crimes, including but not limited to rape, smuggling heroin into lockup, stealing money from narcotics busts, smuggling undocumented immigrants, and using department helicopters for unofficial business. And this was according to an LA Daily News review of an internal LASD report from 2013. So this is per the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department that those are the things that their deputies have been investigated for. So that is also extremely encouraging to hear. So this smuggled heroin that was in in question that I just talked about was brought into lockup in a burrito, just as a little fun fact. (laughs) It's a waste of food. Oh, well. I mean, maybe they could have eaten it after they moved the heroin out of it. The officers at the Lost Hill Station are tasked with policing a population that has a toxic combination of power, money, and fame. It is said that there are two stations most eager to operate under their own rules, and those are Lost Hills and Lancaster. It's been quoted that they've got vigilante justice going on. They do whatever they want to do. Yeah, okay, but like when you think vigilante justice, you think the citizens out doing something right to make sure justice is served. They're kind of just taking their position of power, doing whatever the heck they want. Yeah. And it's for no good. Right. It's not at all. It's And, oh, they were there were deputies under investigation for rape. So, yeah, because there was one deputy that came upon a car crash scene and ended up raping the car crash victim. Oh, my gosh. Did you not hear about that? No. Yeah, he raped a car crash victim. Cool. That is totally insane. Lost Hills is one of 23 stations that are operated by the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. In 2009, less than a year after Maitrese Richardson's disappearance, Ed Meyer's 15-year-old son was arrested for violating curfew. Concerned with the boy's treatment by deputies, Ed went to the Lost Hill Station to complain once deputies realized Myers was of Jewish descent. They began making Hail Hitler salutes and speaking in a mock Yiddish accent. According to The Hollywood Reporter, The Lost Hill Station is just like the movie The Departed. My gosh. First of all, one of my favorite movies, but like that's the last thing that I want my sheriff's department that controls the laws of my city to be like. That's terrible. They're just known to be terrible. The sad thing is, is that movie was made for entertainment, but who knows how much truth is actually 
behind it. Yeah, probably a lot. Well, or at least in relation to the LA Sheriff's Department, it's the truth. Right. So Lawrence Collins, a battalion chief with the LA Fire Department, said on record, the arrogance of so many LASD members who seem to have become convinced they are a law unto themselves gave some license to break the law and even protect violent criminals. The fire department and the police department have to work really closely together a lot of the time. So the fact that this battalion chief is saying this on record is pretty serious. Like he's not messing around. He has some legitimate claims here. Oh yeah. One former Lost Hills deputy, Edwin Tameo, said, I don't know why she didn't get her ride home in regard to my trees being released at 12.38 a.m. after towing her car with her wallet, phone, and her mother calling and specifically asking if they were going to release her because she would drive the 40 minutes to pick her up that night if they were going to release her. Yeah. Which, this is where we have to take deep breaths. Yeah, it's ridiculous, but continue. Many people, including the LA Times state, the LASD can't be a taxi service, which, in that case... Why did they taxi Mel Gibson to the impound lot? Was he an exception because his safety is more valued than my trees Pretty much. Kind of seems that way. He kind of got the star treatment, which, I mean, I don't know. I guess I like Mel Gibson, but I'm not like, hey, he deserves special treatment. Nobody deserves special treatment. No. And from the get-go, they treated my trees like she was worth nothing, you know? Yeah, and there's, there's definitely a difference between, I don't know, I... This was just like complete disregard for her safety, for her well-being. It's 12.40 at night. It's dark. Yeah. We'll get more into that. But so four months after Matrice's body was found, some LASD sheriffs attended a Christmas party that LA Magazine called the starting point for the department's public downfall. At the party, two LASD gangs working at the Men's Central Jail, the 3,000 Boys and the 2,000 Boys, which is so stupid. That's the worst gang name I've ever heard. (laughs) That was because they were on the 3,000 block and the 2,000 block at the jail, got in a fairly serious fight. The local police got involved and efforts by Tanaka's henchmen to suppress reports of the incident failed. Images of deputy gang members running the jails and issuing group thumpings to anyone who crossed them quickly found their way into the local news. In the fall of 2011, the American Civil Liberties Union released their annual report on the city's jails, noting a pattern of severe and pervasive abuse of inmates and calling for Sheriff Baca to resign. Baca then met with the editorial board and pled ignorance. He said, I wasn't ignoring the jails, I just didn't know. So that's (laughs) like, well, you should, you know, (laughs) like, who cares? I I think if there's enough of it to be going on to where like even other officials and different departments are making these types of statements, I think you would darn well know what's going on. Yeah, exactly. But we've got little Mr. Moonbeam over here. Little Mr. Moonbeam. (laughs) Help me, Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah. He may be one of their top whatevers. Wizards, dragon lords, I don't know. (laughs) Okay, so so for example, there is a case of a man, Anthony Brown. He was a jailhouse informant who had been working with the FBI. When L.A. Sheriff's deputies discovered in 2011 that Brown had a cell phone he used to contact federal agents, they began an intricate operation to move him from jail to jail, disguising his name and doing everything they could to hide him from the FBI. Deputies even went to the home of the FBI agent in charge of the investigation, trying to pressure her into standing down. I can only imagine what they did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they said, or those losers. Their effort to silence Brown was called Operation Pandora's Box and was ordered by Tanaka, LASD's second in command. So in 2013, the DOJ indicted 18 deputies in the LA Sheriff's Department stating the pattern of activity alleged in the obstruction of justice case shows how some members of the sheriff's department consider themselves to be above the law. On January 
2014, Sheriff Baca resigned, leaving Tanaka to begin his bid for the top position, even though he had already been ousted from the department, though he blamed all of LASD's failures on his former boss, Sheriff Baca. Even though, technically speaking, at least from what I read, Tanaka was actually the one calling the shots and Baca was just sitting around staring at the stars. Like, probably literally. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I meant literally. <laughs> He has him up on his ceiling. They put him up there just to distract him all day long. <laughs> okay, in the end, Sheriff Lee Baca, who held the position from 1998 to 2014, was sentenced to a three-year prison sentence for lying to federal investigators about abuses in jails run by his department. He took a plea deal. And the plea deal he took is evidence that he did know about the scheme or at least he claimed he did in order to take a plea deal. So I don't know. Uh, The sentence for Baca's longtime undersheriff, Paul Tanaka, who was convicted on similar charges, was 15 years. This just goes to give you some background into what the L.A. Sheriff's Department was like, and specifically what the Lost Hills Sheriff's Department uh, station was like where Maitreese Richardson was taken the night that she was picked up by police at Geoffrey's. So we're going to talk a little bit more about Maitreese now, her past, her history, who she was. Mm-hmm. And the year before Maitreese's disappearance was a period of radical change for her. She had graduated from Cal State Fullerton in 2008 with plans to go to grad school to become a psychologist. She had recently come out as a lesbian and had entered a number of beauty pageants as well as marching in the Gay and Lesbian Pride Parade in Long Beach. She had started dating a boxer, Tessa Moon, whose father owns a shipping company, which Maitreese began working for doing clerical work to help earn some money. In spring of 2009, Tessa and Maitreese broke up. Maitreese began go-go dancing at Deborah's, a popular lesbian club in Long Beach. She called herself Hazel and even had business cards made. So I just, this isn't just your, um, she's not, not, she's not a stripper. She's not just at some club mm-hmm. taking her clothes off. So this is like pretty legitimate business for her. She tried building her modeling portfolio and going to some auditions and if you see pictures of her she is really pretty yeah she is very well put together she she's very athletic looking so i can see why she would want a career in modeling her friend andrea adams went with her to one of these auditions and said the building was very shady they didn't go in but she did say that she felt that matrice would have gone in there if she wasn't there with her in August, Maitreese attended the Hot Summer Nights party at the Playboy Mansion as a guest model. So, pretty high profile here. Yeah. The next night, she won $500 in a twerk contest in Hollywood. <laughs> so, I mean, she's kind of putting herself... I've, I'm not victim blaming. So, she's putting herself out there. She's making herself kind of known in the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, she wants to be a model. She's attending Playboy parties. Yeah. She's in contests and whatnot. So... Um, eventually, she fell for a Long Beach woman, Vanessa, who was a regular at Deborah's. Vanessa had a girlfriend, and Maitreese became obsessed and determined to win her over, even driving all the way to Las Vegas one evening to attend her birthday party. Um, eventually, Vanessa had to tell Maitreese to stay away because her behavior was becoming bizarre. Maitreese's family said she stopped talking on the phone much and began making frequent MySpace posts with her musings at all hours of the night. At least one friend said she talked about going to therapy, but as far as anyone knew, never dealt with her mental illness. Her ex, Tessa, stated, Maitreese wanted people to think she had everything under control. In days leading up to her disappearance, Maitreese appears to have been going through a manic episode and doing very little sleeping. She sent her mother a number of alarming and hard-to-decipher texts, which we can read here in a little bit. 
The Facebook post, I just want to sleep, LOL, but you know me and my crazy ideas. Let's see where they take me. Yeah, so she seems to be going through some rough times here, for sure. Yeah, there was, what, 66 Facebook posts of just, like, incoherent rambling. Yeah. Which psychologist was an intern for was the one that was like reading these and she was like clearly something is totally wrong here right you have people that know her personally saying that this is not her usual behavior and it was troubling them both her mother her her psychologist friend i guess i would call her that she was interning for her aunt her grandmother i think even said something anyway uh so it's definitely there were some indicators that she was something was a little off with her behavior. Yeah. So on the morning of, of September 16th in 2008, Maitrese showed up at her shipping job in what was described as an unusually bubbly mood that I'm sure, you know, if you're going into work, you're not always going to be just like super amped to be there. So she was unusually bubbly that day, which is usually kind of a sign of some sort of manic episode where you go from like extreme emotions. Yeah, I was going to say the, the little that I know about manic episodes is you're either super super high or you're like an extreme low yeah. so the overly bubbly happy attitude makes some sense there can be it. yeah so she they, uh, they said she worked and then went for lunch and then she never returned she made a late afternoon stop at her great grandmother's who she lived with and she left without saying where she was going in the early evening my Teresa's aunt Lauren found a bunch of my Teresa's business cards all over the porch of her Inglewood home she had also left a note on her husband's car windshield with random thoughts and doodles and it said I trademark Uncle Johnny slash Jimmy and then in the right margin she wrote black woman scorned and she signed it off with one of her famous air kisses that just said moi at 7 o'clock p.m. She pulled her Honda Civic into the parking lot of Geoffrey's restaurant, which was 40 miles from her home, in a part of the city not known for its kindness to wayward strangers. As the valet was parking Maitrese's car, he noticed she'd climbed into his, where she was rummaging around. When he confronted her, asking what she was doing, she responded, It's subliminal. I'm avenging Michael Jackson's death. And then asked, is Vanessa here? As if he knew the person she was talking about. Vanessa was actually that woman that we had spoken about a minute ago who Maitrese had grown kind of obsessed with over the past few months. And she told him to keep an eye out for a girl with tattooed arms. The valet said that she seemed harmless, but warned the hostess that she seemed weird. He also gave a deposition where he stated all the odd things that she had said while speaking to him, and that he informed the deputies of these things when they responded to the scene. So he made them aware that she was saying stuff that was just out of the norm. Yeah, I mean, her behavior was something to definitely be noted. It wasn't normal at all. Yeah. Like, you would think she was on drugs or drunk oh, or something, yeah. you know. Definitely. And not just smoking a little pot. On some drugs. Yeah, not some acid or something. Yeah. So once inside the restaurant, she was seated alone, but began speaking to that table of seven people that was seated nearby. She joined them at their table and they were asked if they were okay with this by the restaurant staff. And they said they were fine, that she was kind of odd, but she was harmless. But even so, it's, you know... If you if you're ever in a restaurant and you notice somebody acting kind of strange and bothering other patrons, you, yeah, you kind of try to avoid them ever coming over to your yeah. table. <laughs> like Shai said, they're probably were being really nice. Yeah, but they were still kind of like maybe hinting that 
you know, maybe she should go back to her table and order her food and, and yeah, like go enjoy your evening with yourself. Yeah. So she ordered a Kobe steak and an ocean breeze drink. She spoke of astrological signs and said that she had followed the lights and voices. And that is how she ended up at Joffrey's that night. At one point, she announced that she was going to Hawaii and would contact them when she arrived. Okay, this is people she does not even know. Right. So at one point, didn't she also say she was watching a soap opera and God told her to take the rest of the day off? Yeah. Yeah. She's speaking to God too. So when the table of seven left, Maitrice began to leave as well. The manager stopped her asking how she planned to pay for her $89 tab. And she stated that the other table should have covered her. But when she was informed they did not, she said, I am busted. What are we going to do? And gazed as if in a trance at the hostess's computer screen's numbers. She said she was from Mars and remarked about settling the debt with sex. She emptied her pockets to show that she had no money and in doing so ended up pulling out a joint. And at this point, the hostess ended up calling 911 stating that they had a guest refusing to pay her bill. She said she sounds really crazy. She may be on drugs or something. That's when my trees told the hostess that she'd been watching a soap opera and God told her to take the afternoon off, which I think, well, I mean, what do you, what do you want to say about that? I think when we were talking about this case and kind of discussing like her behavior, you definitely would think she would be on drugs, but you had mentioned that the lack of sleep has been shown to cause these sort of Mm -hmm. like hysterical delusional episodes for sure more so than drugs a lot of the times and if she was up all hours of the night having some sort of manic episode and not sleeping yeah this would be some behavior i think that would definitely result from that type of ordeal i don't even remember if she ate her food because i'm wondering if she's even eating i don't can't remember if she ate her food or not i i think she ordered it just to order it Mm -hmm. just to go with the flow yeah okay I can't say. She also stated that she had no parents, just her great-grandmother, Mildred. So the hostess called Mildred. She's a 90-year-old woman who Maitrice lives with. And Mildred offered to pay with her credit card, but the restaurant required a signature, which I have to wonder if that's even standard at all, or if they thought they she was just trying to, like, rip them off or something. But regardless. Well, yeah. Because she would have had to fax that over, and she had no fax machine. It seems like, man, this whole thing could have just been possibly not made into such a big deal if only they would have just taken her credit card number over the phone but you know they claim it wasn't about that do they really expect people to just have fax machines in their home who has a fax machine i mean that's so silly i don't know and besides the fact that couldn't she have just authorized my to sign for her you know anyway it seems just silly that seems arbitrary to me so obviously she had no way of faxing them their, her signature but she stayed on the phone until 9 p.m when lost hills sheriff's deputies arrived and these deputies were frank brower armando Loreiro, and john mckay so the police are here. McKay and Brower searched Matrice's car and did not report finding her cell phone, wallet, or money, but found unopened bottles of liquor and a small amount of marijuana scraps. Kind of odd to me. Brower was informed by Lorero that Matrice was possibly drunk and making odd statements. Okay, there's a difference between being drunk and being a fool and what Matrice is doing. Yeah, you can tell the difference. <laughs> also, when you said that's kind of strange, don't you think it's a little weird that they found some trace amounts of marijuana, but they didn't find her phone or wallet? Yeah. That seems unlikely, yeah. you know? It seems like you were looking hard enough to find scraps of weed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but not a giant phone and everything. Anyway. They administered a field sobriety test, checked her pulse and eyes, and determined that she was sober. So right then and there, there should have been major red flags going up. This girl was clearly unwell. Right. She's sober as a lark, yes. but she's telling you she followed voices and yeah. lights. Yeah, exactly. When she was asked why she was at Joffrey, she said that she was drawn in by the lights. I did look up 
pictures of Joffrey's, and it is pretty well lit up. They have, like, a pretty outdoor lighted area, so I would be pulled in, but not like a weird trance. No. I would just assume they have good food. <laughs> so they asked if she was on any meds and if she had ever been placed on a 72-hour hold for a psychiatric evaluation, and she stated no to both questions. The employees at Joffrey's considered paying Mitrice's bill, but decided she wasn't safe on her own and operating a vehicle after acting so strangely. So, I mean, they weren't, like, out to get her. They weren't trying to throw her in jail for not paying her bills. I mean, they were offering up to pay her bill, but... That was the employees, though, so I don't know how I feel about them. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about them. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to... Okay. Well, I don't know. Maybe working at this place, you're the manager. Maybe you feel like you're entitled and like you hold this mission, but who knows? Joffrey's manager, citing the same, decided to press charges, actually. Her Civic was impounded along with her wallet and phone, and she was taken into custody, which didn't they just say that they couldn't find her wallet and phone? Was it still in the car? Her wallet and her phone were never taken out of her car and given to or held in with her belongings when she's taken into custody. So it was not on her person? No. Anytime. So it was in the car the whole time, but they couldn't find it? Yeah, the sheriff's department claims that they could not find her phone or her wallet, okay? But later, when the LAPD takes over the case, they find it in the car. Weird. Mm -hmm. Here we should know, if a law enforcement officer determines an arrestee mentally unstable, they are allowed to detain said person as a possible 5150, which is the official code for an individual posing a danger to oneself or others. This will either put her arrestee on watch commander hold for greater scrutiny or if necessary they will send them to a facility for a 72 hour psyche valve. Both of these call for extra paperwork and a possible trip to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Contrary to everything he was told and the statements he himself made, Lerero, are we saying that right? I think so. Lerero? Sure. Okay. Yeah, that, Not that mention any of any, Sorry. Yeah, right? Because he, he didn't mention any unusual behavior or odd statements in the arrest report. Huh. That's weird. That was the whole purpose of the call. Yeah, it really was. Patrice mm-hmm. was simply charged with defrauding an innkeeper and possession of marijuana. And I'm just going to say this, yeah. and I'm, you know, I've never been married to a police officer, but I was married to a firefighter because he's not a firefighter anymore. But he's a doctor. <laughs> well, he's not a doctor either. Not yet. But <laughs> I can tell you that the paperwork aspect of that job is the least favorite part of anybody. And I have to wonder if it wasn't just a matter of them being lazy and not wanting to do extra paperwork or go the extra distance to have to take her to the hospital. Because I know that also requires more paperwork at the hospital. Or was it did they have some other idea planned? I don't know. Either way, they really shirked their duty. Well, either way, it's your job. Like, it's required. You knew that from the beginning yeah. when you applied for this job. Being an officer, being whatever, isn't just rolling around with your guns blazing, <laughs> arresting bad guys. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's your job. You got to do it. Crappy paperwork is part of the job. Exactly. Yeah. Because your job is keeping the citizens safe. To serve and protect. Not putting them in danger. Since her record was clean, keeping her locked up, up could have been a violation of policy. Since she did not have her cell phone, the only number my trees had memorized was her great-grandmother's. The phone that recorded outgoing calls at that station was out of service that night. So all we have is LASD's word that they heard my trees having a conversation on the phone. How convenient the only phone... 
that records outgoing messages yeah. is broken. Yeah. Their logbook shows she called her grandmother four times, but for all we know, she was talking to the dial tone. As Mildred says, she received zero calls that evening following the initial one from Joffrey's. And I'm sorry, why would a 90-year-old woman lie about that? What would be the reason? There is none. Yeah. She has And I guarantee that she has a phone on her oh, nightstand. Yeah. That she got... <laughs> yeah, for sure. And their logbook that they wrote said she made four calls to her grandmother. But we'll find out later because the Attorney General even looks into this and finds out that there is not a record with AT&T of any calls being made. So... What happened there? Anyway, anyway, we'll get to it, but there's really nothing to get to because we have no idea if, if she called, but we'll get to that point. So at 10 p.m., Latrice Sutton, my Teresa's mother, called Lost Hill Sheriff Station saying, I'm her mother. Are you guys going to book her and release her on her own recognizance tonight? Because it's dark, she doesn't have her car, and I don't want her wandering. I think the only way I will come and get her tonight is if you guys are going to release her tonight. She's not from the area, and I would hate to wake up to a morning report, girl lost somewhere, and her head chopped off. She uneasily chuckled. Um, there was some in-betweens between her and the in sh- the uh, Sharon. I don't know if it's Sharon or Sharon Cummings. She does interject here and there. But anyway, so after being assured that she wouldn't be released into the night and that Latrice didn't have to worry about my Teresa's safety, Latrice said, I feel safe with her being in custody. It's being released that I'm worried about. It's crazy out here. So she hung up with the sheriff's department feeling reassured that she could make the 40-mile drive first thing in the morning to pick up her daughter without waking her other daughter in the middle of the night and taking her up there. It would only be a few hours. It was already one o'clock in the morning. So she figured, okay, I'm just going to wait four hours, four and a half hours, and then I'll come and get her because she was she was assured that my Trice was not going to be released into the night without any of her belongings or a ride. So how freaking frustrating. Think about that being somebody that you love and being just assured. Yeah. Oh, you're, you don't have to wear anything to worry about. She's safe here. Uh, we're not going to let her out into the night. And then you come to find out she does get let out to the night. So at 12.38 a.m., contrary to what her mother was told when she explicitly called to make sure it would not happen, Mitrice was released from the sheriff's custody into the Malibu Hills with no car, no wallet, and no phone. In Sharon Cummings' deposition, who was the jailer on duty that Latrice spoke to that evening, she stated that she could not remember if she informed Mitrice that her car had been towed. She stated she knew that Mitrice did not have a mode of transportation. She also confirmed that she did not tell Mitrice that she could make collect calls from the phone in the lobby because she had no money and she could not recall if she told my that she could wait in the lobby for someone to pick her up it's a lot of not recalling yeah i, I am almost I, if we go back to lie and deny their modus operandi yeah there we are so you know i think that any any lawyer will tell you if you don't want to get in trouble for something just deny it or don't recall it how many times have we heard someone testifying they don't remember because they do but it would get everybody in trouble yeah so she basically after talking to my Teresa's mother, she exactly. basically let her out into the night and knew that she was letting her out into the night without any of those things. So that's really interesting. So at this time, 1238 a.m., all the businesses in the area were closed. Public transportation, while rather non-existent in the first place, ends at 9 p.m. And Lost Hills is 11 miles from the tow pound. So she is like literally in every sense of the word stranded. Oh, yeah. In the dark, mm-hmm. alone. Walking around. Possibly suffering from a mental breakdown. Yeah. And they know it, too. The sheriff's department knows that she is not mentally stable at this point, and they let her out. We'll post a picture of her mugshot, too, because 
seeing her mugshot in contrast with how she normally looks, you can just tell this woman is not well. Yeah, you really you really can. At 5.35 a.m., Latrice Sutton calls Lost Hill Station to check if she can begin making her way to the station to pick up her daughter. I think this is kind of important because it's 5.30 in the morning. She clearly just wants to get her daughter out of jail. Yeah. She's not waiting until normal wake-up time, having uh-huh. her coffee, making her way. She's like, I want to go get my daughter. Yeah, it's early, and she was, she was on the phone with them only five hours earlier, less than that. Yeah, I mean, my Trace is really cared for. She is loved. She is not yeah. a throwaway child. It is then that she is informed that her daughter was released five hours prior again, even though she was explicitly told that would not happen, as she would have driven up that night she had known. Sharon Cummings stated that she knew my Trace had none of her personal belongings or car and had declined an offer to stay in the lobby until morning. Which we find out, sorry, but we find out later, she didn't even offer her to stay in the lobby. So that's, I don't really understand. That's just one of the, one of many conflicting stories. Sorry, I'm just getting, now I'm starting to get pissed. No, they said, oh, she's an adult. She can make her own decisions. So they had to let her go. I'm sorry, but like if she's, adult or not if there's something wrong with someone and they're clearly not in sound mind or position to be out wandering at midnight alone in the dark you take it upon yourself as just a decent damn human being yeah and you know that's a law regardless yeah yeah so (laughs) even even shy is getting a tinge of the of the old nancy going So she hangs up with the jailer, calls a few family members, none of which had spoken to Maitreese, and no one at this point can find her. She called the station back and spoke to Deputy Kenneth Baumgartner, asking if she could file a missing persons report. The officer was not aware of the situation with Maitreese having been arrested the night before. Latrice is clearly panicked and wants to file a missing persons report, but is repeatedly told by this deputy that essentially she's jumping the gun. Yeah. And I don't know how many times we've heard someone on the other line saying it's nothing just wait give it some time they're probably doing this right i can think of like five off the top of my head where the person on the other end is sitting there telling the person to like calm down they're out they're probably out partying or something and they're they're in a freezer dead or they're in a you know rolled up in a gym mat or whatever well and it's always the mother's instincts that's telling them no something's wrong this is this is wrong but nobody wants to listen Totally ridiculous. And it's illegal, so. And it's illegal. Mm-hmm. He tells her to call back in a few hours and maybe they can do something for her. Ridiculous. I just have to wonder, is that how they treat everybody? Like, really? Would you, would you say, call back in a couple hours and maybe we can do something for you? Is that what you say to everybody who's calling about a missing person? Like, I find that to be hard to believe, to be honest with you. You would think at this point in time, again, this case isn't that old. We should know better by now that if someone calls and says, this is out of character and I can't get a hold of my child, you immediately take action and do something, but I guess not. Yeah. At 6.30 a.m., Bill Smith, a former L.A. newscaster, called Lost Hills about a prowler in his backyard, saying she was sprawled out on the steps behind his house. He had opened a window and asked if she was okay, to which she replied she was just resting. So uh, I don't know if I would describe her as a prowler, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. that's a we- I-, I thought that was a weird word to use in that situation, too. Yeah. So he says he went around to another window to get a better look, and and the woman was gone, having disappeared into the woods before he could investigate further. Deputies arrived on the scene and found footprints from the vans Maitreese had been wearing at the time of her arrest that appeared to be running, but these tracks disappeared once they reached the creek about 100 yards away. They wouldn't put out a bolo for 6.5 hours. And just for anybody that doesn't know, a bolo is a be on the lookout that police will be on the lookout for this person and the description they give, but they didn't do this for almost seven hours after that. Oh, yeah. 
And we all know it takes just literally one minute for something to go completely wrong and for someone to be lost forever. This is after uh, her mother, after she was released at 1230, her mother or no family members hadn't heard from her for five hours or more. And her mom called the sheriff's department to file a missing persons report. And then this woman fitting her description is seen at someone's house and you still don't you don't put out a bolo for six and a half hours like what in the hell kind of logic is that a bit ridiculous shit (laughs) it is it is kind of bothering me to that the police were so quick to respond to this man's phone call about a possible prowler who really didn't come off as threatening and and they were like right on the scene yeah yet they're not going to help a poor distressed mother saying hey man like my child's missing and y'all are doing nothing about it. Right. And it, and it clearly wasn't because they were like, oh, shit, this might be Matrice. It was because they were like, oh, this rich newscaster that lives on this very luxurious property called me about a prowler. You know, it clearly mm-hmm. isn't because they were like, oh, we could save Matrice. We found her because they didn't file a bolo for six and a half hours yep. in case you needed to hear it one more time. <laughs> <laughs> so had they taken Latrice's call regarding the missing person report seriously and perhaps gotten some tracker dogs on the scene, they may have been able to determine where she went or if she got a ride with someone. As it stands, they just left and went about their day. How far was it from the police station to this person's house? It was like 5.5 miles, correct? Ooh, I don't know. I forget. It wasn't like a, a quick stroll. Yeah. It was like... It was, I mean, obviously that took her like six hours to get there. Yeah. So the... The path to the police station to wh- wherever she ended up at this person's house, it wasn't just a walk down the road. It was a kind of a trek in the middle of the night, no light, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So at this point, we have to assume she's possibly like super disoriented, dehydrated. Or maybe she got a ride there and ran out of the car, you know, or she got a ride somewhere. You know, yeah. we also don't know that. Right. Neighbors of Bill Smith reported loud female screams coming from a vacant home in the neighborhood a few nights following her disappearance. I know that's so creepy. The sheriff's department waited two days after Mitrice's arrest to conduct their first search. Their second search wouldn't happen again for six months. Cool. Yeah. They're really getting on it. Clearly. Clearly they have so many better things to do. Yeah. The LAPD took over the case because Mitrice was an LA resident. They then passed her case to robbery and homicide division even though they maintained it was not a homicide. I don't know why. So what would be the point to that? I don't know. Seriously. The LAPD retrieved journals from Mitrice's car and found that she was sleep deprived for several days and could have been suffering a bipolar episode the night of the arrest. Oh, it fits pretty accurately with her behavior. Like the sheriff's department couldn't have gotten these journals and looked in her car and seen this before. Hello. Idiots. Six months ago or yeah. whatever? Yeah, I mean, it's so stupid. Also too, if you conduct a field sobriety test with someone and they come up sober but they're acting like a lunatic, why would you not get them a psyche valve or take them to the hospital? Because it takes too much effort. Seriously. <laughs> it either takes too much effort or it's that you see an opportunity in front of you that you can't pass up. Well, and didn't they describe her as a slang word for someone suffering from a mental breakdown as a ding, D-I-N-G? Yeah. Someone had been calling her a ding. Yeah, uh, Lorero told the valet that she was a ding, and he assumed that meant she was a ding bat, so... They also found her cell phone, conveniently now they find it. Yeah, I know. Checkbook, an ATM card in her car, contrary to what the responding LASD officers claim. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm going to say this. I'm sorry. I'm being speculative as hell here. And I keep saying these kind of speculative things, but I don't care. Because I'm sorry, but that's what just all the facts look and point to is if you you easily find some crap that you can take her in on in her car and conveniently miss her cell phone checkbook, ATM card, all I know is like to me... 
it just seems like all these factors point to these uh, arresting officers had some plan about what they could do with this person. If you're going somewhere and you're driving, you have what items easily available to you? Your cell phone? your debit card, and a wallet. Yeah. You're not going to hide them in your car so that when you get out to go wherever you're going, you have to conduct a search yourself for your own personal items. Regardless, though, they search the car, you know? Exactly. And these aren't tiny blood splatters or hair follicles <laughs> yeah. we're looking for. This is like an item that you, that you would easily find. It's just so suspicious, you know? <laughs> Very suspicious. Three days following my Teresa's disappearance, Lost Hill Station Lieutenant Scott Chu sent an email to a supervisor, Captain Thomas Martin, concerning my Teresa's arrest. It says, the arresting deputy Larero booked Matrice because he wanted to make sure she was all right, that she was a little ditzy at Joffrey's and was checked for intoxication. She wasn't drunk, but Larero felt she was acting unusual and was uneasy about letting her go. Chu stated in the end, Larero brought her in because of his instinct. The fact she disappeared validated those instincts and concluded with, at the station it became obvious she was well-educated and intelligent, so there was nothing to justify keeping her overnight. So I take umbrage with this because you're the one that decided to take her in in the first place, and in also doing that, separated her from her vehicle, money, and phone. And then once you you take her in and separate her from these items that she wouldn't have been separated from had you not taken her in, you are letting her out into the night and ha- she has nothing. So you basically have put her in the situation where she has been led into the night with nothing, in a situation where she's put in danger, but whatever happened to her happened to her. And she would never have been in that situation had you not done that. Like, I just don't get how they don't see that that's totally, you know, completely their fault. I've like, I've tried to put myself in that situation too, where I'm just kind of like booted out into the middle of the night with no way of contacting anybody that I know, no money on me. I have no clue where I'm at. No stores are open for you to ask if you can use their phone. And no bus station was even open. And her mother had said, oh, my child, you know, she's never even ridden a bus. But regardless, if there was the opportunity to get one, you would at least try. But she literally can't. Yeah. So, (sighs) I can't even imagine how afraid I would be. I would probably just sit in the fetal position and cry. And like, how many times have we heard people that have disappeared or been murdered who, or died mysteriously, who were in a fragile mental state Mm -hmm. and were out in the world and that put them in a vulnerable position to some piece of trash that attacked them in some way or whatever. Yeah, you you were literally in your most vulnerable state, you know? Yeah. So the subject line in the email was, I spoke to Larero and it is in my Teresa's case file. But according to Chu, he doesn't remember writing the email or talking to Larero. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Again, lie and deny, weirdos. Right. Holy crap. I just had to laugh at yeah. that. Lorero has insisted he doesn't recall their conversation with you and that Matrice was acting out of his own mind. Oh. You've got to be kidding me. No, we're not kidding you. We're just, this is like the Casey Anthony school of getting away with stuff by just making up lies that change. It doesn't matter, but just keep lying and you'll never get caught. Basically. And it works. Well, and eventually you start to believe your own crap. So, of course, then it becomes, you know, your own truth. And you get so good at lying. It's bizarre. Anyway, so he also denies asking Deputy Brower to perform a sobriety test on my trees because she was making odd statements. Okay, cool. (sighs) Right. Five days after Lieutenant Chu sent the email, Lost Hills issued an addendum to the sobriety test 
reiterating that Matrice appeared entirely aware of her surroundings and did not seem confused. Oh, that's interesting. That goes against everything else that everybody but the sheriff's department saw. Everything. Right. Yeah. Three weeks later in October, sheriff's spokesperson Steve Whitmore declared to the public that... That guy makes me want to freaking throw up. I'm sorry. Continue. No, no. It's, okay, sorry. He declared to the public that Matrice exhibited no signs of mental incapacitation whatsoever. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Just out of MG and Michael Jackson's death. By early November, Sheriff Baca wrote his bosses at L.A. County Board of Supervisors concluding that all applicable laws, policies, and procedures were followed. Huh. You know, and this is Sheriff Moonbeam here stating that all procedures were followed according to how they were supposed to. This is coming from a man who has claimed like he didn't even know what was going on half the time. So uh, actually, after he resigned and after he was convicted, he came out and said that he had Alzheimer's. So if he truly does, I wonder how long that he was suffering from symptoms of Alzheimer's while he was the sheriff or was it just a matter of him making excuses for himself seriously because I yeah I don't know who I believe in any of these crazy people at the sheriff's department so initially the sheriff's department said that there was absolutely no surveillance footage of Mitrice exiting the station in an email in October 2009 to Malibu Surfside News Captain Thomas Martin stated there is no videotape of any kind five months later after incessant requests from Latrice her aunt Lauren and Mitrice's mentor psychologist Rhonda Hampton, who figured out that it all may be a matter of semantics and that they were just wording the request for this video a little uh, incorrectly. And that's how the sheriff's department was able to tell them they didn't have any video. So they worded it a little bit differently. And then Captain Martin suddenly produced a tape claiming it had been sitting in his desk the whole time. This is five months. I'm sorry. Also to what police station have you walked into that doesn't have security cameras everywhere? We're talking about Los Angeles, one of the ri- and it's in one of the richest areas of Los Angeles. Where this isn't like Podunk, yeah. you know, Wyoming. This isn't a Wild West sheriff's town with population like, ten. You know, one jail cell. Yeah, like yeah. give me a damn break. I mean, with <laughs> someone sketch artisting the the goings ons <laughs> of the sheriff's department. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, so he said it had been sitting in his desk the whole time, and then by the way, by the end of the month, Martin, a thirty four year Los Angeles sheriff's department veteran who lived minutes away from the station he'd led for six years, was transferred to Monterey Park over an hour away, and was replaced by. Captain Joseph Steven, the first black American to run the Lost Hills facility since its inception. Oh, that'll <laughs> that'll make this whole troublesome my tree situation go away, right? That does it all. It's fine. We're good now. So three months passed before the family was allowed to view the video at the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department headquarters. The delay was attributed to technical difficulties, which I find that to be oh, please. pretty unbelievable. And what's new, the video appeared to be edited. In one scene, Mitrice is standing in a jail cell, swaying back and forth with a piece of paper in her hand, and in the very next scene, that same piece of paper is crumpled and on the ground. It also shows the moment that Mitrice is released from the jail and exiting the front doors. Although the LASD claimed that there were no actual deputies at the station at the time of Mitrice's exit, shortly after she exits the doors, a deputy is seen on the video exiting those same doors and heading in the exact direction that Mitrice just went. Mm-hmm. So Los Angeles Magazine wrote, the best article I think I have ever read on a case and it was called What Happened to Mitrice Richardson and I got a ton of 
information about what happened that night and following in the Los Angeles area. And the reporter who wrote the article tracked the deputy down who exited those doors after my trace, asking him about that night. And initially, the deputy lied and told him that he wasn't there that night. He called him and he, this deputy said to him, unfortunately for you, dude, I wasn't there and hung up. I'm like, was he talking to me? Like, like who talks like that as a sheriff's That's deputy kidding. being questioned by a reporter? So bizarre. I mean, it's kind of funny, but like at the same time, not in this situation because you're a piece of trash. Right. Or you're just, you're a big part of this big piece of trash station. So after the reporter persisted in asking this deputy about his actions, he called him multiple times. So about the deputy's actions the night my trees disappeared. So he changed the story stating that while he may have been there, he did nothing wrong. He said, the night this nonsense happened, I was one of the guys that kept away from this, minding my own business. If that is not the most damning statement I I could ever read, I'm like, what nonsense happened? And are you talking about that something else happened that you didn't take part in? Or are you talking about the fact that my trees was nonsense? You know? What What was it we were talking about? Like, it's like a guilty admission. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, John, like, John Bonet. Yeah, when you're just talking and you happen to say something that puts you in that situation that makes you guilty. But yeah, yeah, no, this is, that's exactly what this is. I'm like, are you, like, the nonsense? I'm like, I just can't get, are you talking about a night that y'all screwed up so bad that it resulted in the death of a woman? Or was there something else that was going on that you didn't take part in? What the hell? Why would you ever describe something going on in your sheriff's department as nonsense? Right. I mean, that is weird. So Latisse says that Maitrice in the tape appears agitated and distressed, and she was left to wonder what had been edited and left out of the videos, clearly, because I don't think that that paper crumpled itself and fell. I just don't understand how they explained that away. The sheriff's department refused to clarify why the footage was truncated and had not provided unedited video footage. A Newsweek reporter asked Sheriff Baca if there had been systemic problems in the LASD and whether Maitrice could have been among the victims of department venality. And Baca's response was, I shared all I know. It was tragic. Okay. Good old Mr. Moonbeam. (laughs) Thank you for clarifying, Mr. Moonbeam. (laughs) The inconsistencies in the Sheriff's Department stories regarding Maitrice's mental health that evening have been massive. Yep. 911 was called by Joffrey's due to Maitrice's unusual behavior. That's what set this whole thing off. Right. This unusual behavior was reported by the valet employees of the restaurant, the manager at the diner she joined for her meal, and even the deputies who'd arrived on the scene at least at one point. Without a psych evaluation, how did they know she was well enough to be released, or did they just not care? In contrast, they could have taken her information and released her at the scene, seeing it as how she passed a sobriety test. Why did they take her in, removing her from her car, phone, and wallet, only to release her into the night without any of these things only hours later? And that's what gets me is like, she was literally there for maybe two and a half hours. Yeah. What's the point to that? You know, I just, yeah, it's so unnecessary when you're going to let her out at 1238 AM without any money, phone or transportation. It's totally, like I said, y'all created the circumstances and laid it out for her to be murdered and then deny it like crazy. Okay. So that's where we're going to stop today talking about my Teresa's disappearance and most definite murder despite what the LA Sheriff's Department and coroner want to say about the lack of evidence supporting that theory it's a straight up murder for sure the time between her disappearance and what happens later on down the road is this just a giant roller coaster of events emotions 
situations, and we are going to get into that next time. But yeah, this case, you thought Kendrick Johnson was bizarre. Yeah, I know. This is like, can't even wrap my head around it, to be honest. Yeah, really. The, the actions of all of the sheriff's department employees and deputies, whatever, all of them, the spokespeople, every every single person that is involved in this with the sheriff's department, it's an absolute the last thing that you should do pretty much every move they make. Well, there's definitely a difference between negligence and like deliberate harm being caused to someone. And yeah, I think once you hear the rest of the case, you'll make your own opinions about which one it was. I know that we have our own oh, opinions yeah. about that, but... And I know we don't really make those any secret. now. So, yeah. So, so next episode will be the search for Maitreese, the discovery of her body, and what happens after they discover her body, which... I'm pretty sure all of the world will be horrified oh, by yeah. what happens next. Everybody but the LA Sheriff's Department. Yes, because they know. So stay tuned. Be patient with us. We appreciate, again, everybody's support. We had some pretty cool shout-outs this week. Yes. We had Marissa Inda and Nicola Denise. Thank you, ladies, so very much. We know you have a big following on social media, so definitely helps us out. Yes, thank you so much. And little fangirl squeeze. Go on as well. <laughs> Thank you to everybody else who has joined us. I've gotten a lot of messages from new listeners this week that have really excited me. Just I love hearing what you guys think. And if you have any ideas for topics that you'd like us to cover, you know, we have a long list ourselves, but we have a ton of shows to do. And so the more the merrier as far as that's concerned. So oh, yeah. if there's something that you want us to cover, just let us know. We'll definitely take a look and and get to that when we want to, <laughs> when we when we feel like it. So yeah, don't forget to try to spread the word for us, everybody. If you if you listen and you enjoy the episode that you're listening to, you can share it on social media. Just get us exposed to some people that we may not have reached ourselves. Subscribe and rate. Subscribe and rate. Yep. Please. Five star rates. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, you creeps. Go enjoy the sunshine, the spring weather. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. We'll. Well, Ashley will be working hard on editing, so. We'll come back at you next week with a conclusion to this My Trace Richardson story. All right. And for in the meantime, creep it real. Talk to you later. Bye.